either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. All right, we are officially into the summer movie season now, and I don't know where you are, but where we are, it, it feels like summer. <laughs> no, no doubt about that. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And before we dive into this week, I want to say thanks. We, we've kind of been tardy saying thank you to uh, everybody that comments uh, over the weeks on the Screening Room Podcast, especially last week to uh, Nathan, who uh, commented about my comment about the fish cape. In the Little Mermaid, and that you would look good with a fish cape, and I agree. That's I quite think that's that's, a- that's quite a jump, I think, to make from <laughs> uh, Javier Bardem looking good in a fish cape to me. That's a, but I appreciate it. Uh, I was just saying the fish cape in the Little Mermaid was gone too quickly. It was. It was a very cool. Wanted effect. to see it. Wanted to see it come back. But uh, thank you. Thanks to everybody that comments. We always appreciate that. So let's dive into this week. Got another would-be blockbuster to lead it off. Miles Morales catapults across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. It's Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Miles, there's moments in our stories that are the same for all of us. Some good. Did you bring our baby to another fight? I knew I was going to regret making her that web shooter. You asked me not to, so I, I didn't. I wouldn't. Some bad. You have a choice between saving one person and saving every world. To me... That's an obvious choice. Send me home. I can't do that. I can do both! All stations, stop Spider-Man. You? You want me? Miles! Everyone keeps telling me how my story is supposed to go. Nah, I'm gonna do my own thing. Can this day get weirder? I guess it can. There's nowhere to run. My bad, everybody. There was somewhere to run. Yeah, so now we're going across the Spider-Verse because it was five years ago. I can't believe it's been five I years. Know. Five years ago, uh, something happened in there that uh, really threw off my, my time of time and space. <laughs> what could it have been? I don't know. But in 2018, it was into the Spider-Verse. And we've told this story before. When that movie came out, they had a, a pre-screening on a Saturday morning. We didn't want to go, get up Saturday morning, but we got up and drug ourselves there, and we were just like, this is so good! Yeah, like five minutes into it, we're like, I think this might be the best movie I've seen, and then we're like, this, this is the best Spider-Man movie, we're like, this is the best Marvel movie, this is the best comic book movie. It was so great. It was so great. And now this one lands as easily one of the best films of this year. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I think it is, well, it's the highest rated for us. We gave it four and a half stars, which is the highest rating we've given a film so far in 2023. Yeah, it's great. And uh, I, I will say one of these things that the questions that come up in movies like is, well, should I have, should I see the first one before I see this one? And if you missed the first one, I think you should if I you can for two reasons. Number one, it's very good. You should have seen it already. Yeah, and it'll whet your appetite for more instantly. It really will. And it's it's just more of a. This one they do give you a little bit at the beginning, try to catch up, but it's not nearly enough. I think that it that's, uh, will will deepen your appreciation for this movie. So, yes, if you can and haven't seen Into the Spider-Verse, please do, because it's great. Um, and, and this one is, too. Um, it's also, I, I believe I read this correctly, uh, this one has an expanded running time. This is two hours and 20 minutes. And I think it now becomes the longest-running American animated film release just by a few minutes. And I forget what was before this, but I, th- I think I read that right. So it's a long one, but... 
it still feels fun. It doesn't drag. It no. really doesn't. Oh God, don't no. let don't let that dissuade you, no. especially if you saw and liked the first one, because it picks right up, and so many of the same people are involved, and the animation styles. It's a wonder of 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 visuals, and it's definitely one to see on a big big screen. Do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it. You know, the first thing that that it does that the first one did it. It really it embraces and showcases everything animation can be. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's such a, a glorious. You know, styles change from one scene to the next, and and the the style is used to really underscore. It's not just so sort of to look cool. It's really to underscore sort of the the emotional beats of the film. I mean, it's it's absolutely amazing, incredible to look at. But another reason to go see it, you know, is it. It's just, it's so cleverly done. It really, it really um, embraces, again, what a comic book right. does. What a, what right. this sort of comic book lore is about. But at the same time, it's quite funny and irreverent. Yeah, that's the one thing that stood out to me. Because we've we've mentioned before, we're very clearly, we're not comic book people. No. And a, a lot of times when the superhero movies comes out, come out, the, the comic book purists, you know, they have bones to pick. And I get that. It's just, that, as we always point out, they're two different things comic books and movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one seems to really embrace... I'd, I'd be shocked if the comic book purists didn't really appreciate what they're doing because they really continually, throughout this film as it goes along, tip hats yes. to the comic yes. books. And, and, the, and to all of the other Spider-Man yeah. movies and oh, TV yeah. shows and cartoons. Yeah, there's so many callbacks and, and even Easter eggs. It's it's so fun in that way. And there, uh, and there are so many different... Well, when you anytime you get into the, the multiverses, it gives you, as writers, so much possibilities mm-hmm. for what... So many possibilities for what you can do. And the writers here, Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and Dave Callahan, were they all involved in the first one? No. The first two who also did Clyde with a Chance of Meatballs, yeah. the Lego movie. I mean, Good they... Stuff, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they have a, a much longer uh, history, especially with animated films. Uh, Dave Callahan is new this time around, but you know, uh, it's, it's really, it's yeah, so like good. you said, it's really clever. And then the directors, co-directors, Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson. And Kemp Powers, of course, from Soul. Yeah. Oh, so good. I know. Um, so yeah, the one thing I think the biggest thing for me that maybe stands out uh, from the first one, the first one I thought was laugh out loud funny. Oh yeah, very very funny Especially from from John Mulaney's Spider Ham, mm-hmm. and then you had the the noir Spider Man with Nicolas Cage. This it's not as laugh out loud funny as the first one is. It's, there's clever and yeah, there's little yeah. wisecracks and things, but it's not quite as funny. But I think the storytelling is deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is. You're right. It's so clever, and there's no way we're even going to attempt to go into the plot about all these spider verses. But there are many, and there are many spider men and spider women and spider animals and, <laughs> and everything. And spider dinosaurs. Spider uh, dinosaurs oh and God. horses. Oh. It's, it's so fascinating and clever where they take it. Um, and so we've already mentioned the first thing that it is quite long, but, but, but fine. The other thing to know is it's a think of it as the middle part of a trilogy. Right. Think of it as the Empire Strikes right. Back. Right. For most people, or the two towers. The two towers. There's there's not a, a nice tidy red bow at the end. It no. really leaves you. But the cliffhanger's a good one. It's a good they, one. They hit you with something at the oh, end. Oh yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It's going to be a good one. So, and I think you were telling me that they're 
they were they're doing these they were doing these two pretty much concurrently. So we're not going to have to wait probably. No, that long. the 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 final is already uh, listed as post production. So yeah. hopefully that means it'll be out next year. Yeah. So a lot of the voice talent returns, including uh, Shamik Moore, who did Miles Morales the first time. He's back, and then you've got some, and and of course um, Herschel Ali as his uncle, and then you've got um, Brian Tyree Brian Henry, Tyree Henry. Uh, but, and Haley Steinfeld Haley and Glenn Stein, again. Yeah, she's great. She, she, is she great. has a, a, I would say, a meatier, yes. bigger part yeah. this time, and she does a really good job. Uh, and Jake Johnson as Peter B. Parker. <laughs> uh, and then Oscar Isaac comes along to make he an appearance does. this time. He Very gets, good. He gets no no uh, opportunity to crack wise, but he's great. He's always great. But, you know, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, yeah. he represents as Hobie. my immediately my favorite ever of all the Spider-Man. He's the <laughs> punk rock anarchist Spider-Man. He's yeah. my favorite. But then, yeah, I mean... Uh, there's so many. Rachel Dredge. Oh, she, playing essentially Rachel Dredge. Yeah, and you, and the, the comic looks just like her. I oh, mean, yeah. An exaggerated version, obviously. But so just, yeah, the voice talent is great. Everything about this Jason film. Jason Schwartzman. Oh, oh. The, the villain Spot. Chef's Kiss. Who's a very inventive villain. Now, I don't, yeah. know, I don't know if that villain comes from the comic books. I assume books, he does, yeah. But, but it's he's, very yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Andy Samberg. Uh-huh. <laughs> he's a very funny there's, Spider-Man. Yeah, there's very a bunch. Emotional. I mean, it's obvious. Yeah, it's we tough. really like this movie. We were really proud prime to see it because how much we love the first one and i know we're far from alone in that in that regard so if you saw the first one liked it as much as we did i think you're going to love this once again it's one of the yeah one of the best films of the year and if you didn't see the first one well do that and then go see this one right and then we look forward to to part 3 so a hearty hearty recommendation for for visual the visuals that they put on the screen for the storytelling for the voice work it all works. It does. It all works. Can't wait for part three, which is going to be beyond the Spider-Verse. That's right. This is across the Spider-Verse, and it's everywhere this week. Check it out. Next up, if you're looking for something a little creepy, I think we just passed that halfway to Halloween mark, didn't we? Sometime we did, here recently. Yeah. Well, this is for you then. This is an adaptation of Stephen King's The Boogeyman. What is this supposed to be? It's the thing that comes for your kids when you're not paying attention. Dad, you have to listen to me. Okay, I'm listening. Sweetheart, let me handle it. Yeah, The Boogeyman, a Stephen King short story mm-hmm. that's been adapted into a feature now from, well, two of the writers, Scott Beck and Brian Woods, they wrote the original Quiet Place. They did. And then the director, Rob Savage, uh, directed Host. Yeah, that was a very, uh, a really good, solid effort for Zoom, like, yeah. you know, Zoom horror, the yeah. best of all of those. Yeah. Yeah, so you've definitely got some talent here, but the first thing that's kind of is a, a cautionary, uh, cautionary flag is that it's PG-13. Um, PG thirteen horror, so that brings in some assumptions. I admit, I make some assumptions that I'm. I see PG thirteen horror, and I'm going to see a lot of jump scares. Yep. Also, probably some some. Oh, that was all a dream. I yeah, woke up. It was yeah, all a dream. Yeah. Maybe a conveniently placed box of clues yeah. where you can find some instant answers of what you're looking for. And yeah, this film doesn't do a lot to upend those assumptions. No. Unfortunately, now there are a lot of people. That that's their brand of horror. Exactly. And they don't want to go any deeper than that and be scared any more than that. Well, then this is probably right up your alley because it's a it's a bit of a creature feature. I mm-hmm. mean, it's yeah. a it's a it's a boogeyman. It's a monster that 
pretty much lives in the dark. And this is based around a family with a, a father, a therapist, played by Chris Messina, who's always well. Always, always good. good. Yeah, and uh, he has lost his wife, the mother of his two children. You've got a high school-aged girl, played by Sophie Thatcher. And then you've got a young girl, Sawyer, played by Vivian Lyra Blair. Adorable. Super cute. So she was cute. in Bird Box, and mm-hmm. she's been in. She's got a bunch of credits, yeah. actually. Cast is solid. Yes. Um, but his, and she's, the, the little one is reacting to the loss of their mother by being, she's just very scared of the dark. Yes. And then the teenage girl is withdrawing and acting out, and that's all totally to- totally understandable. So also you've got another another common story trope in movies like this, that is the, the grief metaphor, right. the trauma metaphor, and there's a monster. Uh, you know what I think, though, is important uh, for this storyline is also that the father, who happens to be a therapist, is also not dealing with the... And he's just choosing not to That's deal correct. with it at all. That is correct. And so um, it's causing a rift in the yeah. family. So he gets a, a crash visit at his home office by this very troubled man um, who's under suspicion of killing his three kids, and he swears to the doctor... That he didn't do it, a monster did it. And this guy is played by David Dasmalchian, who you, you know, his, know face. his face immediately. Exactly. Um, and so, and this monster likes to follow people around, even to home offices. <laughs> so that's pretty much how it gets in the home of this family. And yeah, the the jump scares come. And I will say, the director Rob Savage, he does have some visual fun with the young girl Sawyer. She's afraid of the dark, so she carries around this really cool sphere. It's a, it's a round nightlight mm-hmm. that she carries with her everywhere she goes at night, and then she can roll it down dark hallways. Now, there's some visual fun with yep, that. I yep. did I did respect that. Other than that, though, it just doesn't, boy, it just doesn't go anywhere. I like the cast. The cast is solid. Mm-hmm. I did think the, the creature feature effects were uh, yeah. kind of halfway, yeah. but uh, it doesn't really, really go anywhere. I mean, we've certainly, as we say this all the time, you can... Do PG thirteen horror well? It's just not very often. We always put, uh, point to the ring, we, and that's yeah. been many years. Yep. That's a classic. Mm-hmm. So, but when you you lean on these safer, somewhat safer tropes, then longtime horror fans like ourselves are like, oh boy, yeah. I wanted more. But again, if you don't want to go that far, if you just like your your horror only so much, this this might be more your speed. But we found it disappointing. Yeah, I mean, I also think that grief. Grief is a pretty common, you know, is, monster yeah. metaphor in films and in creature features. And I think the, you know, the the high water mark there is the Babadook. And, yes. uh, you know, and I'd be surprised if anybody uh, ever matches that, partly because of how brave the ending is, you know. Um, and, you know, this film, it doesn't break any new ground and it doesn't do anything super memorable. But again, like you said, if you like a scary movie that's not that scary, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it's a competently made if somewhat derivative. And, and I will say some of the internal logic through the characters, it just doesn't quite hold up. You're like, oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So if you, you make some of those jumps, but yeah, if you, if you only like the uh, the horror, the PG-13, and that's enough, well, then this might this definitely might uh, fit the bill for the halfway to Halloween, but we found it disappointing, and that is in theaters now, and it's called The Boogeyman. <laughs> Let's go to Peacock next for a look at the young life of basketball star LeBron James. It's a feature film adaptation of LeBron James and Buzz Bissinger's book, Shooting Stars. People think they know my story, but this is our story. So you a second coach? You on the team here? Nah, but I could be if you're lucky. Me and my boys, we've been balling with each other since we was like 10. Call ourselves the Fab Four. Let's go in! Get up! Hey! We can win you a state championship. 
Guaranteed. All my life, grinding all my life. I wanted to make great players out of you. Dad wants to make great men. That'll last a lot longer. We here, so we know what we're capable of. When you look back at this time in your lives, it won't be the stat. It'll be that person next to you. This is going to be maybe a bigger deal here in Ohio yeah. <laughs> than because you and I remember when he was in high school. Oh, yeah. I mean, We're it was a this. massive, massive yeah. thing. Of course, here. he was put on the color, cover of Sports Illustrated while he was still in high school. But even before that, yeah, this, this all takes place just up the road in Akron, Ohio. Uh, when LeBron and his teammates took Akron St. Vincent St. Mary's to national prominence, um, winning trophies and forming lifelong friendships. And this story has already been told in documentary form and and a very good documentary, we thought, from uh, 2008 called More Than a Game. Definitely, if this interests you, I would recommend looking up that one too. But this is the the narrative version, and it is based on the book and that, that LeBron wrote with Buzz Bissinger, who, by the way, was the author of the original Friday Night Lights. Right. So it's a it's a good sports story, a story about friendship. And as LeBron, who is also a uh, executive producer of this, has been quick to point out that this is he, he says it's not my story. This is our story of this team, and that's pretty much how it comes off. I mean, there is a point where. Just like in real life, he got more of the attention, and mm-hmm. so it does deal with mm-hmm. that. But it's a pretty enter- entertaining and, and well-done film. It's directed by uh, Chris Robinson, who I think mainly before this has done a lot of TV and, and video work. And one of the writers, Jewel Taylor, is from Creed Two, mm-hmm. worked on Creed Two, so knows the way around a sports drama. And it, it does a good job creating individual characters for these what it starts out as four uh, friends, and then when they get to high school, they bring in a fifth, a, a transfer becomes the Fab Four, becomes the Fab Five, and they, they go on to uh, to win the championships and things like that and get all the trophies. So it does a good job with the characters and the basketball, too, because two of the cast members are some serious basketball players. The guy that plays LeBron is Mookie Cook, who currently plays at the University of Oregon. And boy, he's got LeBron's, especially early on, his high-flying kind of windmill dunk pose. He's got that down pretty well. (laughs) And then the guy that plays uh, Romeo Travis, the transfer that comes in later, he's played by Scoot Henderson, who everybody, I think, expects here in a few weeks to go in the top five of the NBA draft. He's been playing in the G League for a while. So some serious basketball talent, and it's filmed well. A lot of it is through montages and maybe some practices, a little bit of game stuff. But that it's a basketball movie, so it should look good, Yes, the basketball stuff, and it does. But it's also based in these friendships and the story of these kids and how they all decided to, as they grew up together and pretty much were playing, playing basketball together since the age of 10. And then when they decided to, to transfer, they didn't go, they didn't go to the, the high school, the local high school in Akron that everybody thought they would because one of the friends, Drew Joyce, was shorter, a lot shorter than the other ones. And he wasn't going to get a chance to play as much as the other guys on that that, uh, hometown, quote-unquote, hometown team, Bucktail High School. So they all, to support him, they all transferred to the Catholic school, Akron St. Vincent St. Mary's, which caused a rift with some hometown people. And the the movie goes into that. Um, So it's, yeah, it's it's an interesting, compelling sports movie, and not just sports, because even if you're not interested in basketball or any of you outside Ohio, not interested in this, sort of story or even you know lebron can be a polarizing figure maybe you're not a fan of lebron um that's on you but anyway (laughs) (laughs) but anyway it's also a story about organized sports and how they can really teach 
good life lessons, especially when you have the good fortune to be under the tutelage of good, caring coaches. Right. And in this instance, the, the characters are played by Wood Harris, who you'll recognize his vo- his uh, face. He goes all the way back to sports movies of Remember the Titans. Mm-hmm. He was one of the players. Mm-hmm. And then um, the uh, coach of the high school team is played by Dermot Mulroney. So there's good lessons there that, that are moved beyond this specific team, even though the movie is rooted in one team. It's got more universal lessons. So yeah, while, while we would definitely recommend the documentary version, um, because this one... <clears throat> Yeah, because LeBron is an executive producer. His, yeah. his hands are all over it, and it does. It feels a bit more, well, quite a bit more sanitized. A bit more sanitized. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the authenticity in a documentary, obviously, with so yeah. much real footage, home footage, uh, gives it so much more authenticity. Yeah, but. you just get the feeling it's a little gets into a little after school, especially mm-hmm. just a little bit, mm-hmm. not enough to sink it, not no. not enough to sink it no. at all. But if you really want the full story, I would recommend the documentary as well. But uh, yeah, this is definitely worth it. Um, it's a good solid sports. Especially and, if you have Peacock. Especially yeah, if you have Peacock, that's going to help because it's a Peacock original out right now called Shooting Stars. Next up, another movie focused on teenagers. This one, a romance drama. A shy teenager on a summer vacation experiences the joy and pain of young adulthood when he forges an unlikely bond with an older girl. This is called Falcon Lake. Well, this is just a beautiful film. Uh, Charlotte Laban's first feature, which you would never know, very assured, very patient, coming of age um, drama that flirts with being a ghost story. And, you know, and, and it depends mainly on the performances from the two leads. Yeah, as Chloe, it's Sarah Montpetit, and as Bastion, it's Joseph Engel. And especially Joseph Engel will just kill you. He's a, he's a very uh, quiet sort of introverted boy, about to turn 14. He's almost 14, and he and his parents are going to stay with his mother's best friend. That's a tough age, man. And (laughs) his mother's best friend has a very pretty 16-year-old daughter. Oh, yeah. And Bastion is just smitten. Sure. You know, and and one of the great things about the film is that it's more, I mean, I would say the perspective is 50-50. I think we get both of their points of view, but you, it, she's not objectified. She's not simply this beautiful thing he can't have. We get her perspective as well, and she's quite screwed up in that it's a very hard time of life. Mm-hmm. So she kind of wants to like this kid who's kind of too young for her, but he's nice. And she's not quite ready to be a grown-up and be with these boys who are very clearly what they're looking for. So she's trapped as well. It's such a very authentic, touching, lovely, sweet, sort of frightening as it ought to be. Look at at just the the last summer of your childhood. You know, and you also get the feeling because Charlotte LeBon is also a, a co-writer. You get the feeling, at least it reminds me of something like After Sun, who, well, you know, that movie was also yep. a debut. Mm-hmm. And with these filmmakers probably rely, I, I know After Sun did, yeah. but this one may also be relying on something in the co-writer and director's own life and and making it a such an outstanding debut, I yeah. think, because the old, the old adage about writing what you know, mm-hmm. it, it seems like it might be that. Yeah. No, I, I absolutely think that you're right. I think that that's one of the reasons why it has... It doesn't have a showy, forced structure to it. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those movies, it's the small moments that you wouldn't even know how exactly to script that make right. it work so well. But it's just really, if it's it's an independent film. It's not going to get a wide release, but if you get the chance to see it, seek it out. Yeah, and it's another reminder that you can take a, a genre 
uh, that's so well worn, mm-hmm. like coming of age. Mm-hmm. And man, if you give it the right perspective, and in this case, an individual and intimate intimate perspective, boy, it can work every time. Yeah, it's absolutely. just how it's how it's treated. And that one is out now in limited release, um, and it is called Falcon Lake. And next up, a mystery thriller out in theaters this weekend. Two troubled women on the edge see their lives intertwined when they embark on a vicious crusade of revenge fueled by shifting passions and haunting secrets. It's called The Attachment Diaries. Muy linda estás. This one is nuts from the mind of writer-director Valentin Javier Dement, uh, Argentinian filmmaker, who just just strings you along through so many different genres and styles uh, into this just such a bizarre and wild story. And you start off for a long time, well, it's just, it's a downpour, and it's a city sidewalk, and you're just following these feet. You're just following a pair of high-heeled shoes. It is pouring. It is pouring. It is pouring. And then the heel broke. You know, it's like, tell me she's having a bad day without saying it. Visual you know? storytelling. Exactly. And and it's such a great way to set it up because then she stops it where she wants to go and they're not going to let her and they say, come back tomorrow. And she says, I have no place to go. So immediately he creates the power structure and you think you know what you're watching and he is going to toy with that the entire film through. Not just that, it starts off as a, as a black and white film, and by about the time you're just you're settled into the fact that you're watching a black and white film, all of a sudden it's not very, uh, very Wizard of Oz-like, which is fitting when you think that one of the one of the cast members actually looks quite a bit like the Wicked Witch of the West. Um, but even that, what that does more than anything is you think to yourself, this is a bit on the nose, isn't it? But it's actually more again of a of a, a moment that clarifies the shifting power structure inside this film as one woman Carla in uh, 1970s Argentina she is seeking an abortion and Irina is a doctor who you know under the right circumstances in her home office which is to say the office inside her home may provide that service mm-hmm. but it turns out that Carla is a little too far along even for Irina to help her so she says Irina says stay here in my house I'll find someone who will take the baby mm-hmm. and we'll all make some money. Right. Um, and so that's where, again, with the power structure and it's the, the performances are just magnificent. Arena is played by Lola Berthay and Carla is Hamina Angazuzi. And the two of them are so well matched because Arena is just that hard candy shell and Carla is the gooey, messy middle. <laughs> and they're just, it's just, the performances are so perfect. Where the story goes... Is just uh, it, it starts off kind of uh, almost Hitchcocky, and then by by midway through it's pulpy. By the end, it's solidly B movie. But the reason it works, well, the the camera work is absolutely stunning. I mean, the the visual storytelling here is glorious. But the two performances just keep you riveted, no matter how borderline silly the tale becomes. Mm-hmm. It's it's such a weird movie and so worthwhile. 
I do, I think, want to point out that the filmmaker just wades hip deep into triggers galore, galore, galore. So know that going in. Not just abortion, but 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 sexual assault and uh, like every other one you can think of. And he treats them. It's it's very blasé because Arena Arena doesn't care about any of those things. And that's really your point of view character. So don't expect a a light touch Mm -hmm. with anything. Yeah. Uh, So know that going in. But it is in limited release and it is called The Attachment Diaries. Got a thriller next on VOD. When Hannah notices the symptoms of a terminal and painful illness in her aloof daughter, Esme, she decides to take her on a trip to their abandoned family farm in a desperate attempt to connect before they have to say goodbye. This is called Esme, My Love. I told you I feel fine. I don't feel sick, really. What a horrible family we have. Our own personal genetic mutation. the first feature as a director from Corey Choi, although he has a long history in sound design, which you will notice right away. It's also it, co-wrote this. And it's a I mean it's a beautifully shot film as well. It's very it's it's lovely, very lyrical, mm-hmm. melancholy sort of descent into madness is really what it is. The, yep. the farther this mother and daughter get into the woods, the more the landscape of sort of what's really happening shifts underneath your feet and the character's feet. Um it's not um it's a slow burn of a film. You you need a little patience with it, but it's it's it pays off with two great performances. A really a uh, really gorgeously visually and orally designed film. Yeah, Esme is played by Audrey Grace Marshall, and then Mom Hannah is Stacy Weckstein. And yeah, definitely when they get farther into the woods, sound design becomes becomes very apparent and very well done. And then it shit like as as Esme keeps asking questions about what's going on yeah. what are you doing and then that sort of gets we we get on her side more because it is a descent into yeah like a descent into madness mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's the type of film it is it's it's just it's just beautiful it's really just a two person show right and that's that's impressive for for just two actors to keep your attention for the entire running time well it's one of those that you know for a while, we're going to be saying, was this a pandemic production? Right, and right. very well could be. But uh, if, if so, well done. Right. And that's out now on VOD called Esme, My Love. Got a thriller next. An aspiring actress responds to a mysterious classified ad and finds herself trapped in her new boss's twisted revenge fantasy. It's called Follow Her. You social media stars, you think the world is all about your content. How about this? You come up with the next part of the script. Then we'll improvise, see how it pans out. Who survives? What do you want from me? Hello?
Now, here's another one. It's interesting. These are back-to-back weeks because last week we talked about Influencer, yep. a social media-based thriller that we first had the good fortune of seeing through Nightmares Film Festival. And now this is the exact same. This mm-hmm. played Nightmares Film Festival last year as well. And it's social media-based and also very effective as you have uh, this character, Jess, played by the writer, Danny Barker. And she's got a little thing going where she she's trying to collect more followers by setting up these situations and and busting men and filming it. Yes, for being creepy. For, for being, being creepy, creepy yeah. and not forthright in what they're trying to accomplish with a girl that they meet online. Right. Um, and then uh, and then she kind of gets sucked into something that she can't control anymore. And the movie, this is a movie that just takes a lot of turns. And at the end, I mean, the, the logic holds up, which is not always the case, especially with a low-budget movie. It takes some twists and turns that you're not going to see coming, but that are are forever compelling, I think. Yeah, and the the villain, quote-unquote villain, whose name is Tom Brady, which I love. It is great. Played by Luke Cook, who is great. He is great. He's re- he's, he really drives this. Once things get to his, his place, his cabin, I guess, and they start trying to act out this uh, this fantasy, and we're not going to say any more about it, but he's really good. He really is. And it's another one that takes, like we talked about Influencer last week, it takes a very common subject right now that's often done very in very hackneyed ways and looks at it in a slightly different way, and that's the social media phenomenon. Sure, and people absolutely. that are just in it to be famous. In fact, I think one of the, the posters of this movie, the one on IMDb, just says, you want to be famous, right? Right. And it sort of looks at that in a in a different, clever, smart way, mystery, a thriller, and it's definitely definitely worth checking out. And you can get, oh, I should say we talked about the writer, who's also the co-star, but the uh, director, Sylvia Kaminer is the director, and you can find it on VOD now. And, yeah, it, we recommend it, called Follow Her. And a biographical drama next in theaters. World War One has ended, but events surrounding the first free election in Italy threaten to tear the village apart. Padre Pio struggles with his own personal demons, ultimately emerging to become one of Catholicism's most venerated figures. This is Padre Pio. We put our flag If you ever come back here, I shoot you! It feels like a sin to question these things. It feels like a sin to be angry with the Lord. There is no greater love than this. To give one's life for one's friends. Nominum Patris, et Fili, et Spiritus Sancti. Say Christ is Lord! Say Christ is Lord! Get out! Get out! Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us at MadWolf.com. And one of the reasons for that is that he's a big Abel Ferrara fan and he is the director, co-writer of this film. Yeah. You know, and he's an interesting and, and I think that Brandon made some interesting points about Ferrara as a filmmaker because, you know, in the in the 70s and 80s, he made very uh, antagonistic exploitation films and d- with the best, with the best of them. And then, you know, as he ages, his films have become far more introspective and, and visually, I think, much more interesting, the, the films themselves. Not all of them work, and Padre Pio is one that doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's led by Shia LaBeouf, 
as Padre Pio, which is one of the things that Brandon points out. And it's an interesting, especially with the director and co-writer like Abel Ferrara, it's an interesting thing to think about being miscast because Brandon definitely feels that uh, Shia LaBeouf is miscast. And he has done some good work in the past, but here it doesn't work. And it got me thinking of just an argument I stumbled onto on social media here not too long ago. Talking about miscast. Is it is an actor miscast because they don't follow through with our expectations of a character or the director's expectations of a character? So I'm wondering if Abel Ferrara, I don't know, maybe maybe that's exactly what he was going for. And if so, you wonder why. Well, you know, I think a big part of it, a big part of the problem is that all of the other actors in the film are European mm-hmm. and have European accents. Mm-hmm. And then there's one American there's one very American yeah. accent, and it just takes you out of every scene. Yeah. You don't believe that this American guy in the middle of it is one of the most venerated Italian uh, members of the church in yeah. history. Yeah, good point. And you can check out Brandon's full review at madwolf.com. But that's in theaters now called Padre Pio. Okay, we gave him last week off, so it's high time we check back in with the Schlocketeer. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Getting in out of the heat. Air-conditioned lobby. Hope it's air-conditioned. Checking in with uh, Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, for the latest happenings. What's going on? Well, Robert Rodriguez's Ben Affleck starring sci-fi thriller Hypnotic is now available on premium VOD. And similarly, uh, Ted Nicolau's long-awaited Subspecies 5 Blood Rise is now available to stream on both Screenbox and the Full Moon Picture streaming service. If you aren't a subscriber of those, don't worry, because a VOD release is expected to follow later this month. All right. But if you are a subscriber, both of those services also have the previous films in the series. So if you haven't watched those, you can watch the whole thing if you want. All right. And uh, Hulu's queer-themed time loop horror thriller Jagged Mind will premiere on June 15th. Final Cut, which is French filmmaker, hopefully I don't butcher this, Michael Hazanavicious's remake of One Cut of the Dead will arrive in select theaters on June, July 14th. So that's the... Uh, guy who directed the artist years ago that won the oscar oh yeah 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 sure okay uh, he remade one cut of the dead in nice. france nice all right <laughs> uh, paramount has moved up the release of teenage mutant ninja turtles meet and mayhem by two days to august 2nd not sure why but maybe to space out from other releases mm-hmm. maybe they're afraid of the meg too i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well it's a big shark yep <laughs> Uh, Lionsgate will release their fantasy horror film Imaginary in theaters on February 2nd, so getting into some next year stuff Mm -hmm. and continuing on that. John Krasinski's children's fantasy film If will hit theaters on May 24th next year. His latest offering as a writer-director and uh, features a star-studded cast that includes himself, Ryan Reynolds, Matt Damon, Emily Blunt, Maya Rudolph, Sam Rockwell, and many others. So should be a big one. Yeah, yeah. And lastly, I think we are finally seeing some date shifts in regards to the current WGA strike and the possibly pending DGA and SAG strikes. Um, Sony has issued two huge delays of films that were going to come out this summer. First up is their animated movie, Harold and the Purple Crayon. That was set for release at the end of this month. It will now open June next year. And similarly, their uh, horror film, They Listen, has been pushed from August of this year to August of next year. And I suspect we'll be seeing studios moving around some other movies later in the year to Mm -hmm. maybe pad out 2024 in case they can't finish shooting films that they already have in production. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. 
All right, thank you. You can always catch up with Daniel on the socials at the Schlocketeer. We'll see you next time. Hey, see you next week. Got another wannabe blockbuster opening next week. It is summer after all. Next week we'll get the latest Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Also one I know you're looking forward to, Dolly Land. Oh, I am looking forward to that. Also Brooklyn 45. Oh, man. Aloners. Mending the line. And the angry black girl and her monster. That's all next week. But what about this week? What do you think about Spider-Man or the Boogeyman or Shooting Stars? Anything. We always love to talk movies. Keep it going. The conversation. Always keep that going on Twitter. It's the easiest way to find us. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website with all of our written reviews and our other horror movie only podcast called Fright Club. That's all there at MadWolf.com. So, yeah, keep in touch if you can. More comments on the fish cape or, or, or anything. <laughs> <laughs> we always appreciate it, but uh, enjoy the week. Stay cool. It's as hot where you are, and we'll talk again. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. This is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>